True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. Today, I have a very special guest. Uh, I am here with Anthony. Oh, man, Anthony. Anthony Skandar. <laughs> Sk- tell me, help me out, Anthony. Skandariato. There we go. Anthony Close. Skandariato. All right. Sorry about that, buddy. Uh, really appreciate Not you coming really. on the show. Uh, Anthony is from Red Knight Properties, and Anthony and I met uh, a few years ago, actually, at a presentation that I gave in northern New Jersey. And uh, now Anthony has many, many uh, apartment units under his belt and properties. And so we wanted to talk all about that. Uh, so, Anthony, uh, welcome yeah. to the show, man. Yeah, Justin, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, of course. So tell uh, tell our audience uh, a bit about you and, and your portfolio and what you have going on today. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I started out pretty similar to what Justin, how Justin started, uh, in terms of a syndicated deal, in terms of unit count. Um, but, you know, I worked for an institutional firm. Um, we were a real estate sponsor who focused on class A office, multi-tenant up and down the East Coast. And uh, I was there for five years. And then while I was working, I was kind of slowly buying some apartments on the side with, uh, now he's my business partner. Um, we, we built our portfolio up to 70 units uh, between the two of us while I was working. And then you know, we ended up syndicating uh, a 50 unit um, right in northern New Jersey, which is where we're based in December of 2019. And, um, you know, I went full time um, into multifamily, uh, you know, syndications and, you know, to become an operating company. We also do property management in-house as well. All of our properties are in New Jersey and um, we have 200 units for sure that's closing. I just got under contract another 20. Um so in, in April and, uh, you know, the sky's the limit from here, but we focus on kind of the middle market boutique value add multifamily and mixed use right now. So, wow. Um, and yeah, that, that's a lot. That's you, you're doing a lot in a short amount of time. Um, love the hustle. And I know all the hard work that goes into scaling that quickly. So 
really, yeah. really awesome uh, and similar story to mine where you, know, you got that first deal under your belt and then went full time. And that's that's exactly what I did also. So that's that's really great um, to hear. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I want to ask you about before we get into your story is um, I've I've always looked at the numbers in, in northern New Jersey because obviously I'd rather invest closer to home than further away. Um, but sure. our audience knows I invest in out of state. So can you talk a little bit about the market in North Northern Jersey and, and what, uh, why you feel it's, it's a great place to invest? Sure. Um, so what we focus on is workforce housing, um, primarily multifamily. Uh, we have some ground level retail at some of our properties, but that's only 15% of our portfolio. And, um, you know, in, in the markets that we invest, uh, they're within an hour of midtown Manhattan. Um, and, you know, we're not investing very close to New York because you get, you know, stuck and you know this with, you know, some pretty strict rent control that kind of, you know, forces your hand to not re not really invest in the property in order to get the returns you're looking for. So, like I said, we focus on more of like the western, northwestern part of New Jersey right now. Um, you know, people always still need a place to live and there's still an economy. Um, so, you know, we found that the price per units and the, the going in cap rates are much higher, significantly higher by 200 to 300 basis points. Um, as you know, people think of New Jersey, you know, Jersey city, uh, Hoboken, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like the Hudson County, you know, waterfront area. Um, you know, if you're buying existing product, it's very difficult to, to do value add, especially when the cap rates are now with interest rates, we're recording this in March of 2020 and, you know, the 10 year treasury is below 1% at this point. So obviously that has an effect on cap rates. So you're looking at cap rates over there and four and a half percent, you know, it's with rent control. So very, very tough pill to swallow. Um, our average cap rate um, is usually anywhere from six plus um, going in. So we, you know, obviously um, as we put together deals, we, we like to buy with existing cash flow and, and upside. So that's Very great. different than uh, buying with the hopes of, you know, eventually getting to market rents over, you know, a 10-year period. We don't do that. We, we go in in place with cash flow and we make sure the property's performing and we're able to get to the upside realistically within, a, you know, a three to five-year period. Got it. Got it. Well, that's great. Um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so what's um, what was your reasoning behind self-managing your properties? Yeah, so as I said before, all of our units are within a half an hour of where my partner, uh, business partner, and I live. Um, so it just makes sense. And especially as you do your first few deals, um, for me, it was very important to oversee um, property management and, and take over, um, as well as construction management um, and project management. I know it sounds like a lot of work that you could potentially outsource, um, but, you know, as, you know, going full time, this is all personally that I'm, I'm focused on and, um, making sure that we execute for our investors. And, um, we already, we have actually a couple case studies already on some really significant refis. Um, we, we, we did a refi in December. We returned investors 140% of their money in a year period. Excellent. And we, we all still, we all still own the building and we're just cash flowing. It's just gravy. Um, and the deal that we actually ended up syndicating in December that I mentioned, um, we've already turned over the rent roll, 
you turn over about 30% of the rent roll in what, two months. And uh, we're, we're look, probably going to do a cash out refi at least a year prior to what we anticipated. So um, I don't know if that would be possible, to be honest, if I outsourced the management, um, just because we were pretty creative when, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, under market, an under market rent roll and, and, you know, we have some problem tenants and we have, you know, basically our legal team that kind of oversees all the issues when, it, whether it comes to non-payment or any other issues that, that warrant, you know, evictions, uh, we've been constantly dealing with, with this and, uh, um, but it's a good thing, especially if they're under market and you can replace it with more high quality tenants. So to, to be able to oversee all of that and just to make sure you can execute because it's going to lead to future deals. As long as you're executing and you're producing good returns, um, you know, that's all anybody could ask for. Absolutely. No, I love that. You have control over every single piece. You're not relying on a third party manager. Uh, I think it makes a, a lot of sense, especially since your properties are all fairly close to where you are living um, and working. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so uh, the reason our audience is here is, is they're here to learn about multifamily property, of course, managing um, the assets. And so you have a story for me about uh, fighting an appraiser. Is that correct? Can you tell, can you set the stage and uh, <laughs> sort of uh, lay out the property and, and the story and, and tell us what happened? Yeah. I, and I've fought appraisers before and I'm, I'm pretty fair and reasonable, but uh, this actually was the, the deal that we syndicated um, in December. And generally for your listeners, if you're, we, we took out a bridge loan. So when the rents were, the rents on the building we bought are 25, 30% below market, we were able to take a bridge loan, which enabled us to borrow money if we needed for construction costs. Yep. Um, and there was, there's a good amount of construction that's been going on and, and whatnot. And the way that they do the appraisal is they look at it as okay once you're done with the improvements what is the building's worth what is the building going to be worth theoretically what's your new net operating income and let's apply a cap rate to it and you know let's take 75 percent of that and um <laughs> it's it was completely way off base uh from from where all the comparables were and we were actually short to the closing table two this is two weeks before by like three hundred thousand dollars and um, you know, in, in commercial real estate, to be honest, that's frankly not a lot of money that you have to put together and raise, but for, you know, a newer syndicator and they're, they're looking to raise anywhere from a million to a million five, or even anywhere from a million to 2 million, that's yeah. significant, especially, especially if you're raising from friends and family and my average investment on that was 50,000. So I'd have to talk to theoretically you know, <laughs> six more people to get them in. And, and you'd have and to close six more weeks. people, which means in my experience, you'd have to talk to 40 more people probably. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not, I mean, that's not, uh, uh, that's not something you can just, you know, whip out a, a check and, and have 300 K in most cases for a first time syndicator. Correct. And there's ways for your listeners, if you are short and if this ever happens to, to, you know, find another general partner to kind of close that gap. Although you'll probably have to give up, give up something. Um, it could be worth it. It's better than not doing the deal at all, especially if you have deposits that are non-refundable that you put right. down. It's not, it's not worth losing that. Um, 
especially if it's significant. So in, in this case, um, we were, I was actually able to fight the appraiser and, um, you know, uh, he was able to use, you know, the real market comps from, you know, I don't know if you ran into this problem, but if you're appraising a 50 unit building, it's not the same as appraising a 10 unit building that's 20 miles away. And that's what this appraiser was doing. And, um, it was, it was truly unbelievable and was, was able to fight it. It took, it actually took me about a week and a half to fight it. Um, so I was, you know, out there, you know, getting, I actually got a few more commitments just to close the gap. Uh, we would have figured it out one way or the other, but, um, you know, it was, uh, very stressful, but, um, if you could support, you know, the appraisal with new comps that are realistic and, um, you know, you could do it, but I've never had to, I've never had an appraisal come in so far below uh, yeah. well, where I they should have. I want to break this down a little bit. So you are, would you say two weeks from, from closing? Um, and uh, you find out that the appraisal comes in and you're, you, the, the bank just simply isn't going to lend you because they're looking at the after repair value and saying the numbers just aren't there. So we'll only lend you this lower amount, which means you've got to bring another $300,000 to the table. Right. So, so now you're really in crunch time. I mean, for, for those of you who have done it, you know, for those who haven't done it uh, from time from inking that contract to the closing table is no matter how much time you build in, it's a whirlwind, especially on your first one. And so there's so many moving pieces and your brain is, is all over the place. And I know for me, I, I barely slept uh, my whole first time because you just, you're thinking about everything and there's so much to do and so much to check. So how, um, how did you manage the timeline of this where you're, it, you've got to now add on this, this appraisal fight, you know, break us down from the time that you found out, you know, what was your next step? <laughs> the next, the next step was calling my mortgage broker and uh, fighting with them. The next step was calling the actual lender and fighting with them. The next step was calling the actual appraisal, the corporate office and fighting with them. <laughs> it yeah. was ongoing for, for, I would say three days. And it was funny. Um, my mortgage broker, he didn't invest on the first deal. And after I fought the appraisal and won, he's like, I've never seen anybody fight like you like this. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, I'm in on your next deal. There you go. And it's, it's, it was funny. It's funny. I'm, I'm closing another one in April. He's, he's participating in that's great. awesome. And he, he's also doing the loan for as well. But, um, yeah, it was a little stressful. Thank God we figured it out pretty quickly. So um, how do we fight know, an appraisal? So if I, if I have a bad appraisal on my next deal, what do I do? It has to be reasonable. So I, you can't just fight it to fight it. If right. it's wrong, it's wrong. Right. Um, and, and my example, comparing a 10 unit to a 50 unit, 20 miles away makes no sense. And, right. Um, you have to, you have to provide comparables. So you provide the comps to the appraiser You justify why these are relevant comps. Um, in addition, you know, they were using, I'll use this as an example, a stabilized cap rate of an eight cap in Northern New Jersey on the as is. And I'm sure you're laughing behind your desk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was really insane. And, yeah. uh, they, they had, if, for those of you who are trying to invest in Northern New Jersey, that's a very high cap rate. Typically on a stabilized basis, it's anywhere from like five to six. So, um, and potentially lower if you're, if you're very close to New York. Um, you know, in, in this case it was an hour away, but you know, the more you have to show market comps of, 
where other buildings are selling for, what kind of cap rate. Right. Most of them were five and a half to six cap, and there was there was literally no argument. So um, appraisals appraisers also take into consideration price per unit, and they kind of weigh different things. So, but the most important factor that I've seen is the income approach, which is the cap rate. Okay, so you had to go and find comps. You had to essentially do the appraiser's job for them and sell everyone on the fact that your comps are better than their comps and, and actually their comps aren't even comps at all. Um, yep. So break down a little bit, you know, you mentioned the income approach. How are you, um, how are you getting those comps? Are, you know, are you, is your mortgage uh, broker pulling data from CoStar for you? You know, what are, what are the steps there? Yep. Yeah, you can use your, your mortgage broker to, to to pull some comps from resources like CoStar or, or Reese is another one, or even just looking at apartments.com, Zillow, looking where market rents, uh, uh, rentometer is another website. But generally, you know, when you're looking at sales comps, you do have to use a software like CoStar, which is, you know, expensive software as, as you know. Um, so, you know, what we did was we, we got all the comps and I already knew what the comps were because, you should know if you're putting the deal together and you're right. projecting an exit um, as as a as a sponsor. Um, so I knew what all the comps were, and they didn't use any of my comps. Um, now sometimes what happens is you know the the and this is not good business, but the appraiser will kind of work with the bank to get the proceeds down because you know the bank will come and issue a term sheet, and you're like, wow, these are really nice terms, great proceeds. I only have to come to the table with 15% or whatever the case is, and then you know, they work with the appraised. Oh, the appraisal came back short. So, you know, we can't issue this loan for what you were looking for, but we can do this. Right. And then at that point, you've already, you know, you went non-refundable on your deposit and you have two weeks to close in this example. And you're like, wow, what, what just, what is going on? And, and to kind of scratch your head, but, um, you know, we were able to solve it. We were still a little bit short of proceeds. I think it was only 30,000 or so, which you got to be prepared. So for your listeners, if you're syndicating, I would overraise for any of our deals. Now we overraise, which, which we did overraise for this one. And, and the rule of thumb is like 10% overraised by 10% or so. Um, I think we overraised by five on this one, which was, which was not, it wasn't bad. So we were still good. And actually my partner and I ended up splitting the difference at the end. Um, because yeah, as the sponsor, we, we co-invest as well with our, our partners. Um, so, you know, you just have to be prepared as a sponsor. You have, you have to be able to, to uh, understand what the challenges are, especially when you're dealing with, you know, bridge lenders and, and, and banks, um, what they potentially could be. Absolutely. So many, so many great lessons learned in there. You know, for me, what sticks out is, being prepared and knowing your numbers. I mean, you, you knew as soon as you saw that appraisal that it was incorrect, not, not, Oh man, it didn't come back. Uh, you know, where I hoped it's no, this is actually wrong. And I already know the comps. And so you were prepared and ready to go. Um, so for you to fight that appraisal and win, um, you, you had to have already been prepared enough to, to know 
what you were getting yourself into. Um, and it sounds like common sense, but a lot of times it's probably easy to get caught up in, you know, the broker hype you read an OM, uh, and you, you see some of the, the deals that they put in there and, and, you know, maybe you haven't quite done all your homework. So, uh, kudos to you right. for, for being prepared on that and let's close out the story. So, so what happened? You, you fought them. Um, what did they come back to the original number or, or how did it end up? It's very close. Yeah, <laughs> very, very close. Yeah. They still shorted a little bit, but we were happy with it and, and we fought and, and to be honest, it's, it's the bank's loss and the appraisals appraisal company's loss because now it's actually funny. The appraisal company did a refinance for us. It was the same appraisal company, um, through a different lender. And they actually, they did a great valuation for us after mm. I told the story of what happened, a reasonable <laughs> great valuation. Um, but, you know, it's kind of the lender's loss because frankly, I'm never going to do business with them again. Right. Um, just because of the situation. And, and that's their loss. That's the way I look at it. There's so much capital out there, as you know, this, especially in this low interest rate environment. Yep. Um, and, and, and so much money to be placed. The only reason, you know, I would say to your listeners, don't try to close at the end of the year, try to close everything November or so, because there's a lot of people on holidays and a lot of people don't, you know, are doing other things. And and this was right in the middle of Christmas too. Yeah, (laughs) no, I, (laughs) you know, every year we, I say, I'm not going to close on something or I'm not going to refinance around Christmas. And every year it happens to be that we're doing some big giant refinance in Christmas time and people are on holiday or you want to take a day off and it's just, you you know, you're never moving as fast as you want to go and you end up um, losing some of that holiday time. So I agree. Don't, (laughs) <laughs> try not to close on anything in, you know, December or first week in January because it's just too tight. Right. Yeah, I good, completely good agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, hey, man, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Uh, what? Where can people find out more about what you have going on? Sure. Um, you could go to our website, uh, Red Knight with the K Properties dot com. Um, we have both my email there at the bottom of our website and we have a contact form. If you want to reach out, say hello. Um, we also have a LinkedIn page, a Facebook page, and um, my number is also on the website at the bottom. Um, so many ways to reach us. Excellent. That's rednightproperties.com and uh, you guys can check that out. Um, if you guys have any other questions, uh, you can reach out through Uh, our Facebook page, leave a comment on uh, any of our uh, episodes here and we will make sure that we get back to you and, and uh, please leave us a rating and review. Uh, We always appreciate that. And if you have any feedback for us, or if you want to be a guest, please check out our website at true multifamily show, true multifamily.show. And we'll have Anthony's full bio and all of his social links up there on our website. Thanks guys for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have the show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.